From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in cataloged and Instagrammable Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Martha Croy, and I make nice games. And I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, I make nice games too. For this week's episode, our topics are gaming libraries and marketing 001, getting started with marketing when you know really nothing. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Ellen, welcome back. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks for doing the intro. Yeah, I, it's the third time is a charm. Saying. <laughs> uh, so Ellen is here because Stephen is not. And that's just a thing we're trying going forward. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Stephen is at the uh, Game Devs of Color conference in New York. We've talked about it on the show before. Um, so he is out there now, and he'll be back to tell us how it went. Uh, in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned for those episodes. But in the meantime, we got Ellen here for the next two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about some fun stuff, and we're going to do a nice games jam next week, so stay tuned for that one as well. Um, but Ellen, we wanted you back here for a couple of reasons. One, you're awesome. <laughs> um, and two, uh, as a senior member of the Widget Satchel team, you've been helping the game in its final push to get out the door. It's getting so close. And, it's so cool. <laughs> and we talked on the show before about what our plans were for it. And we really wanted, we wanted to get it out back in April. That was our plan. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's, I don't even need to explain ourselves. Like, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure most people who are listening yeah. understand. But, <laughs> but a big part of what the delay was is that we started talking to publishers and marketing people. And so we'll have a little bit of sort of news to talk about that as we get into that topic uh, later in the episode. Uh, what else is going on before we get started? Oh, I was just talking actually before we started. I'm actually kind of taking a little bit of a, a gaming break just because I don't know work is work is kind of stressful right now, yeah. and I just want to veg out. And I don't find vegging out to be the most satisfying use of my non-work time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'm just I just want to sit on the couch and not think. Yeah. So I'm playing a little bit of Crypt of the Necro Dancer. Um, but other than that, just kind of not doing anything. You said you were binging some TV. Binging Lucifer yeah. on Netflix. Yep. But I think I'm about spent on that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, going to play Ape Out next. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There was this article that was posted recently uh, about uh, the value of grinding in video games and like mm. the sort of peaceful sense of sort of dull progress you get from that. It, was, it seemed kind of a positive take on that, which sort of raised my eyebrow. Uh, we'll link that in the show notes. But did either of you read that? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I, I, I find it. Interesting. It's an unusual perspective. I, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've been doing recently is organizing my game library and going through my backlog. Uh, it's my summer project. Yeah. This, thus why I wanted to talk about game libraries as our first topic today. Okay. Um, so my library of games has grown exponentially because I buy bundles. I've tried not to do that anymore because of this very problem. Um, (laughs) But like Humble Bundle makes it very tempting to just be like, oh, I want this one game and I can get it with a bunch of other games for this price. And that's really fun. Uh, And then now I have like hundreds of games in my backlog because that's just how it goes. (laughs) So I've been organizing my game library to make it more efficient to go through all those uh, the backlog of games and keep track of everything. Um, and I found that Steam and Itch have different like paradigms of organization and how you, uh, and it was interesting going from Steam to Itch and trying to do it the way Steam does it and realizing that like Itch has a different way of thinking about it. Um, so in Steam, you have like all the games you buy is, are in one and then you can add it to your favorites um, and there's so there's a favorite category. Then there's also a very frustrating VR category that gets automatically created, but it leaves all the VR games in your reg- like the list of games you've bought. Yeah, which is so frustrating because I'm like, I want those if they're in a category, I want them out of the like. <laughs> yeah, unlike other types of gaming, VR is sort of mutually exclusive to other genres. Yeah, like, it's like you're not in the mood for like oh a strategy game or a fighter game or a platformer or whatever. Like, but you're never, you sit down, you're not like, am I going to play a VR game or a, a match three game? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like you've made that decision already when you've sat down, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to set up my whole thing to play one game. I'm going to set it up and then go through my VR games. Like, that's a whole different 
activity, mm-hmm. I feel like. And so I have on Steam, I have two VR categories, one that they automatically made and one to get all of those out of the general uncategorized game list. Yeah. Um, so that makes me bristle at <laughs> the fact that I need two of them. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so you can set categories. And I found that I, if, at one point I was trying to sort them like a little bit too granularly. Like I would put them in uh, like what kind of game they were. Um, but I found that for going through things you haven't played before, um, that's very inefficient because you have to like look through each category and games get lost in them. So yeah. basically now I just have all the games I haven't played in the uh, just general uncategorized list. And then once I play them, I either move them to my favorites if I like them and are going to play them again, or I move them to the eh category, which is just <laughs> things I don't like and will never play again. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, and I also have a finished the game category, so it goes out of both of those if I've finished it. Right. So available to start over, but yeah. But I probably won't. Like right. It's like a, a game that I've played through the whole story, mm-hmm. or um, it's a smaller experience. Right. It's a, like you put a book on a shelf, and it just stays there for 20 years, but you don't want to get rid of it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can also add non-Steam games to your library. Um, so I did that a lot when I first was playing PC, because Steam was the only thing I had. Mm-hmm. And so, like League of Legends, I put my own little League of Legends launch your button right, into right. steam so it was organized that way that was a big part of when steam was um introduced it was kind of some backlash because people didn't like it this is really the same reason they don't like the epic game store now um <laughs> and um one of the first features i think they did was like oh it's not just a store it's a it's a launcher it's a place to organize all your games and so that non-steam games which is now commonly cited as like a reason why valve is so friendly to competitors is actually a thing they did in order to get over the initial complaint of like, of, you know, of like, w- we want to put all our games in here, like including the ones I bought at Electronics Boutique. So, yeah. <laughs> and so it remains a feature, of course, but like it's meant to be, and that's part of the reasons why people like Steam is because it's, a, it, it's where their library lives. It's not, they don't love it because that's where they buy their games necessarily. Exactly, yeah. You get, it's a place to find all your stuff. And I, so I can understand their perspective of not wanting to change that because moving everything over to somewhere else or they're not actually, like you'll have to buy it new on a different store to have it in that category sometimes. Um, so that can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. So because of all the problems with Steam and just wanting to play more indie games in general, I've been doing a lot of stuff on Itch recently. Um, and Back a couple years ago, I bought a huge bundle of games there because it was like all the proceeds were going to the ACLU. Um, so I have like 100 games on there that I hadn't ever played. And so at first I started like trying to organize them. They have a games you own and mm-hmm. games you have installed, but there's no way to like... It's the diff- a different thing. You don't say like I. The, you can't favorite a game, and you can't wishlist a game. Mm-hmm. Like on Steam, you can you have a very clear line between games you own and games you do not own, and games you own you can organize, and games you don't own are just on a wishlist. Where itch, it's more blurry on what you own and don't own. You can put things. There's their organization system is called collections. So you can put things in collections that you own and also things that you don't own into the same collection. So like I have one that for a previous episode on sports games, I have sports games I own and sports games I just saw and just added to the collection. Right. (laughs) So you have to, you can mix them, but you try not to because that's confusing. Yeah. So what I've, well, I mean for, for categories of games, I've started doing mixing them together. Um, because I'm like, oh, I'm really interested in typing games, but I don't have time to buy, or I like, don't have enough money, or don't want to buy all of them at once. So I'll just stick ones I own in there, and then ones I'm interested in, and then later, if I'm like, oh, I feel like playing this type of game, I'll go and be like, do I want to buy a new one? Do I have this one? But I also have it organized by, I, you can put games in multiple collections. So I have owned games, owned and played, owned and not played, mm-hmm. <laughs> And eh. <laughs> <laughs> I think at eh is the best title for that. I know exactly what you mean when you say that. I'm much. Um, I don't have a lot of. I don't have a lot of games I've bought that I haven't played. Like I'm. Not, I don't. I don't fit that profile. 
of the standard PC uh, gamer. I kind of wish I did though, because there's a lot of benefit to like just having a big list of like checking out. And also, like you say, like something you tried once and we're like, eh, it's okay. But you know, I'm glad I bought it, but I'm not that, you know, it's okay. It's like a C plus game or something. No regrets. And then you put it in the ebb pile. Like I don't have that. I, I, if I buy something to me, it feels like it goes on the shelf. And so I feel like I'm much more picky in a way that's probably not good. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not spending the money, which is very good. But um, but yeah, th- that's the plus of of having an out of control game library <laughs> is that you you do just have more options and you can treat um, it, the sort of the threshold to enjoying a game doesn't have to be the um, the, the sort of you know the the, the put on your shelf uh, threshold, right? It can just be the like the four dollar threshold or the fifteen dollar threshold. It's like not that much to like have a little experience and see if it see if you like it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I've been I've been going through all the the games in the owned and played or owned and haven't played category on itch, and I've been finding like there's pros and cons to to playing all these games I bought a long time ago, mm-hmm. like. Pros are I don't have to spend more money to play a new game that I haven't played before. <laughs> uh, and I'm discovering like super cool games that I had no idea I even had. Um, and like just playing a ton of cool little things that are, that's the beauty of itch is that you can put up all like just tiny little games yeah. uh, and it's not a big deal. Um, and so I've gotten to play lots of cool things. Um, and then the cons are like, I play have played a lot of very bad tiny games also. <laughs> I've also run into a lot of games that are broken um and that are just on old plugins like a lot of um Unity WebGL plugin things oh, that are sure. now can't really play them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and a bunch of flash games which have varying levels of success mm-hmm. <laughs> uh still playing and so like it's a bummer discovering that you haven't like if I had been up on my library like you are, Mark, yeah. I would have played them when they were playable. Right. <laughs> of course, the other benefit is that you bought them so long ago that it's hard to get that mad. It's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will say uh, one quick tip about Flash games. Uh, most people have uninstalled Flash from their browsers. They don't have a, a, an air runtime on their systems anymore. And going forward, I, I can't imagine that's, that's going to get any better for these old Flash games. But you can go and download the Flash Debugger Player, which is a um, it's just a in, it's just a Flash player that just lives on your desktop and is relatively sandboxed. And <laughs> it, it's you don't have, it's not a plugin, right? It's just its own little thing, and it's used by Flash developers to test their their things before they put them online. If you have a bunch of old Flash content um, available to you, you can use that to play it. Oh, so that's, just a quick, that's awesome! Quick tip to check that out. I'll I'll put some links in the in the show notes for that because. Um, like game preservation we talk about a lot on the show like that is a category where there's thousands tens of thousands of titles which are at risk of just disappearing from the from the world and that's kind of sad so there should be some way to, to hold on to them and that's one so mm. that is so cool yeah definitely link it in the show notes because mm-hmm. there are so many cool flash games back in the day yeah. and now like Metro Nexus <laughs> 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 um, one of the other cons I found that playing a game way after it was actually released is that you can find your most favorite game in the whole world and you have missed out on the whole, all the hype and also all the cool merch that used to be around. Yeah. Oh, darn. <laughs> I discovered that Read Only Memories is a game that I super like and I wanted like all the stuff. They used to have a little plushie of the main robot and I'm like, damn. Now it's not, doesn't exist anymore. Oh, well. <laughs> they had a vinyl of the soundtrack. Anyway, yeah, weren't you? Didn't you also once tell a story how you were a little late to Portal? Yes, and then you were, you were doing all the memes after everyone was sick of it. Yes, <laughs> I'm like, the cake is a lie, and everyone's like, we know, <laughs> we've already done this. <laughs> so yeah, I've been thinking about this topic a lot because I, exactly for the archiving reason, like I feel like, li- like library science and games, I don't know. There's something there. I want to figure out more about how that like archiving works yeah because like i have my game library and it's all nicely organized and findable like you can find things in it but if the games themselves disappear and i can't play them anymore what's like yeah you're talking about like games you own but haven't but are 
haven't don't have on your system. Yes, right. You're relying on these infrastructures to be able to deliver them to you. Yes, at, on demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they go away, then what? What do we do then? Yeah, <laughs> when Flash goes the way of microfiche. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. Does the local library have a microfiche machine? I don't even know. <laughs> I can say the word microfiche, but I have no idea how I would go about accessing a microfiche. Yeah. Minneapolis Public Library actually. You can look at them. Uh, I don't think you can bring them out of the library, but they have a microfiche machine, and you like talk to a librarian and figure out which one you want, and then they help you mm-hmm. do the machine. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have any it's reason cool. to bring it out of the library because I don't have my own. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting metaphor because uh, libraries and universities have uh, spent the last maybe 20 years digitizing a lot of that old media um, because it's now a little easier to do, and the scanning technology is good enough, and the storage uh, is available. Um, but there's still tons of that old media that is that is available only on microfiche or some old uh, medium, and that is now we're now getting to the age of of digital content where that is starting to become a real issue, where like backwards compatibility only goes so far. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to have more places like um, the. Com- computer museum we went to in Seattle mm-hmm. where they just have all the old computers with stuff you can actually play on them which is so, so cool mm-hmm. I've recently been uh, just on this topic I've been recently watching a lot of YouTube videos from people who like work with old 8-bit computers from the 80s and like and just all the efforts they do to keep these things working to like continue developing software for them uh, and preserving old not just old uh, software but like the physical artifacts of them uh, documentation, floppy disks, stuff like that, and it it's really interesting in a way that like someone just has to care about it, mm-hmm. right? You can't it can't be something that just a system is set up to do. You need people who are passionate about the these particular categories of things in order for it to actually live on. And then you think about all the things that didn't find their audience and then were not properly archived throughout history, but would have made a comeback as as you know, prevailing trends. M- shifted if not for the fact that they weren't that that audience wasn't there when it was time to save it you know oh yeah yeah that's a black mirror episode right there yeah (laughs) uh so no (laughs) (laughs) well Uh, ellen how do you organize your libraries like are um, you more like me or more like uh, i I think i'm more like i think i'm more like mark i don't know i think i'm somewhere in between the two of you i really like the categories that you described martha like i was just thinking okay that's how i need to do it i need to have a haven't played have started, meh, and <laughs> done. Then I got to think about, well, what does done mean? Right? right because right. there's, I got the ending of the game, but there's also all the achievements. And I, I'm not someone who really goes after, I'm not a completionist person in most, most games, except for Metroid. Um, <laughs> but Right, done or done with? <laughs> right, 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 done with. There you go. That's <laughs> done with it. Yeah. Is so like category. civilization will never go in that category for you, Martha. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> right. Or like Thoth. I love the game Thoth. It's super simple. It's really, really hard. I'll never be done because I don't think I can ever beat the procedurally generated <laughs> yeah. levels. Um, but I'm done with the main levels. So You know, I think about that in that I'm definitely, a, I like games with stories that end. I think I've talked about that on the show before, but I also like, uh, like uh, Super Mario Maker, right? Which mm-hmm. can go on forever, but at a certain point, I am done with it, mm-hmm. right? It's time to move on with my life. <laughs> rather than you know what I mean rather than yeah. nothing the game didn't do anything wrong it didn't bore me there wasn't you know I didn't run out of interest for it it's just there's more things in the world you know right. and so it's time to put that aside and do something else and I almost never go back to those things even I just and I just have fond memories of them but I, so I find that kind of conflicting if I organize my game library differently and just thought about it differently I might be more willing to go back to those continuing experiences that I didn't stop loving right yeah, yeah, and it's it, for me. It really depends on the mood. Like there are there are games that I go back to, um, or that I keep thinking about and don't go back to. Like I've been thinking about Breath of the Wild a lot recently, and yeah. you know, there's a lot of new content that I you know haven't haven't touched. Do I want to go back? Do I? I mean, I just like riding my horse around for the most part. Um, you have a motorcycle now. Yeah, but a horse, <laughs> Mark. <laughs> sorry, sorry. The motorcycle looks cool, grant you, but horse. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and there's just something really was really comforting and soothing with it. I just loved that game so much. But I don't know. It's not. It's not going to be the same when I go back and yeah, pick it up again. Or I'm. I'm not sure. And it's. It's weird to like that. There, there's a category of games. It's almost like when I pick it up again, it's for the nostalgia. Maybe that needs to be another category. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like don't, a category of just don't forget about these, right? Yeah. That sort of just, it, you see it all the time, and then like when you're not sure what to play, you can go into the nostalgia bucket. Right? Old, old friends category. There you go. Aww. Old That's friends. That's a really good way to do it. Yeah. Like Super Metroid is one of my best old friends. Yeah. I just play that whenever. I just love it so much. I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but yeah. Um, but as far as like, as far as how I go through the games, I, I mean, I have tons of games I haven't played on itch and, um, tons of games I haven't played on steam, but I get a little bit of decision paralysis when I'm thinking, okay, what next? And that actually might be why I'm binge watching Lucifer instead of playing a game because like, I don't want to have to make the choice Mm -hmm. because when I'm playing this game, it means I'm not playing these games. Um, which is true of any experience. If you're having this thing, that means you're not having that other experience. So I don't know why it's a thing, but I do get a little bit of a decision paralysis. So what I've kind of tried to do is just start at the top and just go down the list alphabetically. Right, right. Um, but the the hangup I've had before is I really have a drive to try to get to done with the game, even if I don't really like it. Um, or if it doesn't just grab me. Um, so I think maybe maybe adapting more of you know Martha's style of meh, as a or eh, as a category would be a helpful way of yeah you know there's a space for that and I you know I can give myself permission to be like I tried it and then I'm I'm good <laughs> I'm I, know, I know exactly what you mean the the games that I have put away like I the one I always think of is L A Noir which I was I looked forward to for so long that game was long delayed too so I was really really looking forward to it and by the time it came out it was basically just Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, and then it had this really interesting like um, uh, dialogue and, and social negotiation system that was pretty good. But a lot of the gameplay was just a third person action game in an open world city, and you drove cars and just like Grand Theft Auto. And I was just, I was really really disappointed in it. And, and I was, but I stuck with it for a long time. I didn't finish it, but I, I if I had given up on it sooner, I might actually have a stronger opinion of it. More of like a it mm. wasn't for me, or oh it, it didn't turn out to be what I wanted, rather than like. You know, it betrayed me and broke my heart. Oh. You know, which is how I feel about it now. <laughs> no. You know, and so um, and like a new version of it came the- out with VR support, and I'm like, oh, that's I'm I want to do that, but I'm like, but I I but I I feel uh you know uh, spurned and 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 wronged by it, so I'm not going to give it another chance. That um the VR part of it, the walking part, was not okay for me, but actually <laughs> driving the cars around was helpful. It was when I was like I played it at my brother's house when I was you know, still fr- afraid of driving in real life. Yeah. And that actually was kind of helpful. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. <laughs> so that might have been probably really cool in VR. It is neat. Anyway, but yeah, there's games like that where it's like, uh, yeah, I wish, I wish I could adopt more of your model of just like giving it a shot and then, you know, like no hard feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll run a little experiment of one for us. I'll be reorganize my library more according to Martha's system. And I'll see if I get to, if I get to move through my backlog a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. If any listener has uh, ways that you organize your library and want to tell us about it or want to try my method or Mark's method or Ellen's method mm-hmm. uh, and, and see how it goes. Um, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I will say I don't have a method. Oh. Right? And well, your method is that you don't have a backlog. Yeah. Really. So that, and that I think is, it gives me the freedom to not have to worry about it as much. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, man, could I be even more efficient in the games? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized it's not even so much about managing the games. Like the system is about managing your relationship with those games. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, as developers, like I think about this all the time, especially when people talk about like buying a ton of indie games and I don't do that. And a part of me feels guilty. And it's like, well, I want a bunch of people to buy my indie games, even if they don't play them. <laughs> like I would, I would benefit from that practice. So uh, uh, what do you guys think about like you, you like a game like Clawbreaker? It's a small game. It's 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 relatively cheap. Like, how do you want people to organize that? In their, do you want them to, uh, other than you want them to buy it? Oh, that's like, a category I forgot. I also have a category of multiplayer, like coach co-op multiplayer games. Yeah. So whenever people are over at a party or something, it's all right there. You don't have to search through to find right. them. Right. And those are also games you don't really play on your own. So yeah. it's easy to forget about. Yes. Or to think, oh, I don't really and, play that game. And I have removed them also from my owned and haven't played category of uh, of my itch backlog because mm-hmm. I can't play them by myself. And usually when I'm going through my backlog, I'm looking for ones that I can play right then yeah. by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Although I should be roping Dylan into this. <laughs> so maybe I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So would you be would you be comfortable with people buying your game and putting it in the air pile? Like I you mean, got, you got their money. Like I mean, if they put it in the air pile, that means that they've tried it, mm-hmm. and I think there are games that are for some people and games that um, just are you know that you're not going to like, and if they have took the time to play it. I think that's more mm-hmm. important than if they truly liked it or not. Yeah. I yeah. guess the only thing that I think makes it difficult as a, as a developer is thinking like it was really hard to measure engagement because, cause you just kind of assume, and we do this with the, with the podcast. So when people, when we've downloaded statistics, but we don't know if people actually listen to it. Like we have no way of knowing. We just know they downloaded it. They'll be listening to it as they fall asleep. Yeah, exactly. Or they listen to. I highly like. I really like podcasts. I listen to when I go to sleep. Like yeah. those are gold standard ones. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do that, mm-hmm. uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a special niche. Uh, but like, it's hard to measure engagement. And so, when, if you know, if your game, uh, like, uh, and I don't know, there might be statistics on this. Like, uh, how many? What's the average amount? Uh, that a player plays a game like or, or the average audience who buys it who plays it when you think about like your sales figures like do you is that how many players you have certainly not but w- depending on the type of game and the price of the game the amount of your purchasers who are actually your audience is uh is different and i don't know if there's a lot of data on that but that makes me a little nervous huh. i want to know that because then that helps me like design for the next thing or know who who my audience is to market to and yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's probably why people use those achievements that mark progress. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. You get a good idea from that. Yeah, so that's a good indicator. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, thinking about, thinking about you know, how I would feel if someone told me that, you know, the game goes into the F pile, I just kind of want someone to have a reaction to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I would rather have them... I don't know. I'm just. I don't know. Maybe this will change as I, I get more experience and, and release more. But I, I just want people to play it and think about it a little bit. And if they think that it's eh for them, then maybe that gives them some insight into what they like, and that's good. Yeah. Um. If they love it, then that gives them some insight into what they like, and that's good. And I feel like you know maybe with any type of art, the worst reaction is just not thinking about it at all. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just having it just pass by without any thought. Mm-hmm. And that probably is maybe best represented in games that are in bundles that the purchaser forgets about entirely. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a lot of those as well. I mean, I, but it's hard to complain, I guess, if you, you know, make a little bit of money and like that's, you know, it, it, you, as long as you put it in context, I guess, for what it yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, don't tell me if you put it in the app pile. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Right, you're you're not interested in all the data. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, One way to get people to play your game. Ellen, this is the part of the show where Martha works up a transition to the next topic. Mm, Yes. Sometimes it's a little rocky. (laughs) (laughs) We usually cut a lot out. Um, Yeah, so one way to get people to buy your game and to play your game, be reminded of your game, is to do marketing. And maybe you need some, you know, you you get some outside assistance with that. (laughs) So here to tell us all about that (laughs) is Ellen, Marketing 001. That was a great transition. Thanks. Actually, I'm really glad that Mark said something because I didn't realize what you were doing until you said, oh, now I talk. Okay. In truth, they're all winners in their own way. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So marketing zero zero one. You know, I was thinking most courses, like if you if you sign up for the first course in like a college curriculum, it's topic one zero one or one oh one and then one oh two. We're not even there yet. We're at zero zero one. Um so yeah, so I've been sort of taking the lead in the recent weeks, taking the lead on getting marketing efforts spun up a bit more for Widget Satchel. Yeah, let me stop you right there. No, yeah. there's no sort of about it. You told me not to worry about it, and I am not worrying about it. Great. <laughs> like, it, it, it is, I not to put any pressure on you, but you're the one doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I say sort of because you did a lot of work prior to me kind of stepping in mm-hmm. um, that I think was essential for helping, you know, for getting me to be able to literally just step in and take over. Um, and I, I'm going to ask you to talk about that in a moment, but um, that's oh. kind of why I use the why I said sort of okay because I, did, <laughs> I, I mean Mark did some work that was great uh, groundwork to 
be able to get us moving forward and contacting people um, that I did not do. Um, but since then, yeah, then I've been kind of taking over and I've been talking to PR firms and agencies and learning about that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so I've been at it about, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, but I really, you know, I don't, I don't know this at all. <laughs> I, I don't think I realized how much I don't know until I started doing it, mm-hmm. which has been a great experience because I really love learning things. And I, I, you know, for a long time, I've kind of had a philosophy of if you have the opportunity to do something new, say yes to it, even if you don't know what you're doing. Just make that clear. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to put my time in. And most of the time, people are fine with that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but it's helped me with a lot of, like, learn a lot of interesting experiences and have a, a lot of um, a lot of different opportunities throughout life. And the other thing about that is it's made me really not freak out too much when I find myself in those positions again, because I've done it so many times, I know that I'm, I'm going to live. I will live through it, even yeah. if it's scary at first. You know, I'll get through it. Um, that being said, yeah, I was like, I'll give this a try. And then kind of got into it. And I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Great. Okay. So there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, I think. But then I realized I'm not sure if it's imposter syndrome if you really don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> like imposter syndrome is you feel like you don't know anything or that you're not g- good enough to do the thing because even though you are. But if you know that you don't know anything, <laughs> <laughs> then it might just be truth. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's just like absolute beginnerism, right? right? Absolute. It's in, yeah. Embrace your absolute beginnerism. Um, and in in the spirit of that, I thought it could be helpful for other newbies out there um, to just have me talk through some of the first steps that I took and and give you the courage to send those emails and do that googling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this is a part, Mark, where I'd like you to kind of talk uh, about the work you did prior to me jumping in. So okay. you, you did some, you put together some assets. Can you talk a little bit about what you did? Oh, yeah. and you talked to people. You talked to lots of people. Yeah. So I, I, just to uh, preface a little bit of what the the possibilities for this game were. So I think um, when you are developing a game, you're thinking about the game and nothing else. And of course, everyone's always telling you in the background, like, remember, you're going to have to market it. Remember, you know, don't don't just dump it out on Steam or whatever. And like, you you know that's true. Like, we all know that's true. I think um, early on, our attitude was, we know that's true, but we don't have the energy to fulfill the promise of that. So we are just going to dump it on Steam. Like, that was the initial plan. And um, and we I, I, I was working myself to get really comfortable with that. Um, but then at a certain point, um, I think that same instinct that you have, Ellen, was just like, I want to know more about this. And I've talked about on the show before that Widget Satchel has been an exercise in learning about all these different aspects. And so that's the excuse I'm giving for like <laughs> giving in to the like, oh, you know what? We should really actually do this right instead of just coming to terms with not being able to do it. Um, and so um, it, it became a, a bunch of like just watching tons of GDC talks, going to some GDC talks um, and um, trying to learn, okay, what does it take to actually uh, get up a press kit uh, you know, start to uh, get a press list together and email people like that, and and at a certain point, I kind of st- I kind of got really overwhelmed with a lot of the learning of that. I'm like, okay, okay, I, I, I know a lot of that stuff now. I know what the tips and tricks are, um, but I'm I'm not ready to do it yet. The game isn't finished, and I think one of the things there's two pieces of advice you hear, um, and and I think I have an opinion, but I, I don't I don't think it's I think you can have your own opinion on, on this. Uh, the first is, as soon as you start working on your game, that's when you start marketing it, right? Like you can't waste a second. You have to get that audience engaged and keep them, keep the attention going. And a lot of times we indie developers do that by like using Screenshot Saturday, right? We, we, but in my opinion, a lot of that is just um, about community building. And I think that's really important. And you should definitely do that. But it's not the same as marketing your game. If you get a bunch of indie devs liking your screenshot or your weird Unity bug, like that, that feels good and you should 100% do that. But I don't think you should mistake that for promoting your project. Um, that is something totally different. And so when that piece of advice is commonly taken by indie devs and then they put it into action in, in ways that are not as effective as they would hope. And so um, the other side of it, the other piece of advice, and this is something that I feel like just for the sake of my sanity, I've tried to do more of, which is do the game, finish the game. <laughs> And then do the marketing strategy. And I think you lose a lot of time when you do that. Um, but I think there's, uh, it, like I said, it's about my sanity and about um, keeping things like you can't, you can't always do two things at once. 
Now, the difference now is that we've got Ellen to actually take care of a lot of this stuff while I am working on polishing up um, builds for the game and, and, and finishing it up. So Go team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go team is the message here. Is um, When you have a smaller team and you can split up tasks and work on them in parallel and not necessarily both working on them at the same time because you know you have other things in your lives like when you can each make progress on separate tracks i think then if you have a situation where you can do that like take advantage uh, if you don't then you need to be more realistic about like what you can spend all of your time on now and be a little bit more focused and this is also the reason why i suspended work on metro nexus is because i needed to be a little more more focused than i usually could so that's a really big overview of of how this works so um you know, early in the year, we talked about on the show before, we spent a couple of months all as a team doing a final push for content, uh, doing level design, getting all the de- all our design questions answered, leaving basically only bugs and little extra things that were on a list to finish up. And we've been working on that checklist for a while now uh, to, to wrap up. Um, but um, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking, okay, well, now it's time to start actually putting these together. Let's put together a trailer. Let's build a website. Let's do all this promotion. But like, let's try to see if we can get some support for it. Let's see if we can have somebody else do that part. And so that became the new motivation going forward. It's like, hey, let's have somebody else promote this thing. Let's, let's put it in the hands of experts. We're, we're, we want to hire a firm to do this. And this is a thing that I learned is that there are actually companies that do this. Um, because when you think about what a publisher does, they will, they help you get uh, um, up, up on, you know, they'll build your Steam page for you. They'll build your, your eShop uh, page for, for your game. They'll negotiate with platform holders they will uh, you know build the website they will do a lot of that stuff and the thing is, is we know how to do a lot of that stuff uh, um that that is uh, you know getting the game out and i think a lot of indie developers do know how to do this stuff and so that's why self-publishing feels um available to people is because there's a lot of information on how to build a steam page how to you know how to get your game on consoles like this is something we all are capable of doing the, the other half of what a publisher does is the getting people to buy the game. And that's a little bit harder. That requires some real expertise. That's not something you can learn as a hobby and, and, and compete necessarily. You can still do it. And I think it's still a great option for a lot of people. Um, but we decided that we're going, to, we're going to self-publish, but we're going to see if we can get some help on that promotional stuff. And that is where Ellen comes in, basically trying to get some partners to help us with that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, I can kind of talk a little bit about the process for starting out. Uh, and the first, the first thing I want to say is Mark is totally, totally right. Um, the, I, I, uh, am embarrassed to, but I think I really underestimated the level of expertise that this takes. And, um, it became very apparent to me in the first conversation I had with a marketing firm, how little I knew. Um, which is good because it's good to be humble. This means you have more to learn and that makes life exciting. <laughs> you are able to put such a spin on all of this. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I have, I have, you know, continue, regularly make yourself feel stupid, but then make yourself feel smart too. Okay. That's not helpful. Anyway. Um, so the first thing we did was kind of as a team, we got together and we talked about, you know, how much effort did we want to put into this? And I, mm-hmm. that time box I think was two weeks and it's extended a little bit, but, um, I think partially it's extended because we got some good response rates, yeah. um, about the game. You know, we, we had thought, all right, we'll, we'll do some cold emailing of some agencies, see what comes back. And if nothing really comes out of that, then we'll, you know, we'll get, we'll just move on with our lives after two weeks. But we sent about just, you know, 10 well-crafted emails and got six to seven responses. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we're still in conversations with about, you know, three or three or four of those just kind of figuring out exactly where we want to go. And I, I want to ask you a little bit about, yeah. um, because a lot of times, because a, mar- a marketing firm will do a lot of what a publisher does, but the difference is, is that it's, a, it's someone you hire, mm-hmm. but they still wa- have to want to work with you. Yeah. But the, but the, the re- requirements are a little different, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and I, you know, I haven't been reaching out to publishers. I, we did reach out to, I did reach out to, or I found one publisher, but I think I decided not to reach out to them because it just didn't, you know, as I thought about it more and looked into it more, it didn't seem like it would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll get to that. Um, it, it is, it is different. It's, it's some also something I didn't really understand the difference between. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly right. You know, the publisher, they're 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 taking on a lot of the risk. Um, financially by agreeing to publish your game and do all the effort. 
Um, whereas marketing firms and, and PR firms, you're going to compensate them. I mean, I think yeah. there are lots of different ways to do that financially, but that's, that's kind of yeah. the, the line that I'm using. Um, and some of them only have capacity to work on a certain number of projects, so you still need to prove yourself to them. Right, exactly. And well, some everyone, yeah. have bigger portfolios and are just saying like, hey, we have a streamlined thing, we can, as long as you can pay, right? Right. So it's hard to do those first emails, right, if you don't know. Right, right. So the first thing that we did, um, the first thing that we did, we decided as a team, like, what was the time box we wanted to spend? How much effort did we want to spend just reaching out and um, cold emailing people and see what bounced back? Um, and we decided about two weeks just for that initial period. And the other thing we did was, as a team, we talked a little bit about what, what were some of the criteria we wanted in a marketing or PR firm or agency that we wanted to work with. Um, and you know, we wanted them to have experience with the type of game, like the type of game that we want Widget Satchel to be. Um, and we also wanted to make sure we, we hired a diverse team. That's yeah. really important to us. Um, so yeah. Um, when we talked about that, uh, we, we then said, okay, we're ready to go. And so I went out and did a lot of Googling just to come up with a list of prospective agencies, some of which market I'd already heard of, some of which were new. Um, and, yeah, and so I think I just ran that by the group, and um, some of the some of the people or firms on the list were you know a no go for various reasons, but we still ended up with a good like solid dozen or so. Um, then I just emailed them, and I used a lot of the, the great material that Mark had put together up to that point, um, just to reach out and say, "Hey, we're making this game. It's about a space ferret." <laughs> Isn't that cool? Um, <laughs> I do say that I think I think a big reason, you know, we sent out about ten emails and we, you know, had a sixty to seventy percent response rate to that first email. Um, and I do think the subject matter matters a lot, so I, I ended up changing the subject line to something like "Space Ferret Seeks Marketing PR Support" or something, <laughs> because. I don't know. It's still like a good thing to, to lead with one of the aspects of the game that's, yeah. that's in, you know, incredibly unique and that's Sprocket. And I, w- I want to say one of the reasons why everyone was really excited for Ellen to take the lead on this is that Ellen, uh, anyone on the team, has the best idea. Like, Ellen knows best what Widget Satchel is, I think. Oh, man. <laughs> like, I, every time we have a conversation of like how we talk about the game and how we present it, and I, you know, Ellen mentioned the, some of the materials I put together, like, a lot of that was for pitching publishers, pitching Nintendo, pitching, you know. And so Ellen, I think, is a, has a much better idea of like how it, how, what is a successful way to talk about it. I think we all recognize that. And so that, I mean, that just like you're saying, that, that subject line, like, like only you could figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. It, we just felt it, like it, I just, I'm just kind of going with what feels natural because, you know, we're moving forward with this regardless of what happens with these, with this particular yeah. effort. But um yeah, I'm just trying to be authentic in the way that I experienced the game and the way we've talked about it and, you know, keeping the team involved without overloading everyone. Um, so you know, kind of mostly just standard teamwork stuff, I guess. But um, but yeah, so it, that's that's what we did. We got some good responses back and some people just said, hey, yeah, send us a build. And so we sent them a build and some people wanted to set up a call first. And so I did. Um, and it was... <laughs> Yeah, so we set up a few calls, and I am so glad for that. So if, if you're a marketing or PR person, um, I know it's more effort, but man, I got to tell you, it was very reassuring to, to get on the phone with somebody, even for 15, 20 minutes. Um, it was super I mean, super fine, and I was glad to send builds and, and start the, the conversation that way. Um, but <laughs> the, the conversations were really reassuring. Also, that is where I realized how little I know. <laughs> because the first conversation I, I got on um, was with uh, with a person named Logan. And I'm not going to name any, any agencies here, but he was fantastic and um, very patient and obviously very passionate about what he does. And I felt so bad because, you know, he started asking these really important, these questions that were really detailed. And I kept going, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Can you help us figure that out? Like, sure. He was so so gracious about, you know, my inexperience and and I got the impression that he wasn't unused to that you know mm-hmm. so it's 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 not mad men you yeah. know like these people want you to like the, the marketing teams the PR firms they probably they want you to be successful um and they want to help you understand what they do right uh, one to justify their, their services but also so that you can have a better communication yeah like one of the reasons why we need to put together all of our like messaging and material is so that whoever we hire market the game 
is true to our vision of the game, not right. just what will sell best, right? Right. They may be best able to craft that into something that can sell, but they need our participation. So that communication is so important. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely important. I mean, and it's all about, I mean, it needs, it is a partnership. And I think that's why, that's why it felt right to start with a team conversation about what kind of group we were looking for, yeah. because you, you got to work with someone who you like, working with shares your values and has like a similar vibe, you know, like you, that helps you resonate, um, you know, because you want, you want that combination of your, your game and your work and, and their expertise and their work to amplify what you've got. Um, and so you have to make sure that kind of resonance is there. And, and that was, uh, so that was really, it was encouraging and it was a great way to start. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really glad Logan, if you're listening, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so in, in that those first conversations, I was starting. I didn't really have a great, and I still feel like I don't have a great handle on the differences. But I kind of threw PR, marketing, and advertising kind of all in the same bucket, and now I realize they're quite different. Um, they're different things, and I um, I think I'll have a more refined understanding of that again after you know we actually like start looking at budgets because how much effort is going to go to PR and what does a PR schedule look like? Well, it's a lot about press releases and making sure we have like pre-release schedules and then release schedules and who's getting contacted when, and when are we sending, you know, pre-release builds to the people who are going to talk about it on Polygon? I don't know, whatever. These are the kind of things that come up. Whereas, you know, in marketing, it's let's talk to some influencers and Mm -hmm. it's, it's different. It's different. And then there's advertising, which again is different. So it's all these different avenues of getting the word out about your game, but each of them requires different approach and different um, platforms and different people. And so you, it's, yeah, it's, it's really helpful to have someone who already knows what they're doing there. Um, the other piece that I didn't realize because I live under a digital rock is how important social media influencers were to modern marketing campaigns. Yeah. It was one of the first things that we talked about and all of the calls that, that I've had. Um, and I don't actually watch a lot of streaming um, and I don't do a lot of, I don't follow social influencers really on any platform, partly because I'm just not on social media very much. And that's something I've kind of been winding down in my life over the last couple of years, partially because I just like, I have more other things that I'm doing and I don't feel like I have the time to spend, um, you know, doing that, but also because I have found it stressful. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, this is this other thing that I need to take care of. Yeah. Even if that thing is just engaged with the platform once a day, it just becomes another thing I have to cross off my list and I don't, I don't value it in and of itself enough. But in my absence from those, those platforms and those networks, I didn't realize how important social, you know, how important influencers had become. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't mean to devalue the work that people do on social media. It's just not a great fit for me because of my personality and the way that my life is currently set up. But I had not realized that. So that was um, kind of a wake-up call. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I never feel more disconnected from gaming culture when I hear about like popular streamers. Because I never also never feel so old, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Martha, do you feel similarly? Because I, I feel like... A lot of times I defend the separation between a gamer and a game developer. Like you don't have to be an expert gamer to start making games. And I think we all know that. But like this is an area where I still feel a little insecure that I don't know enough about like uh, how gaming culture like spends its time. And so I feel like am I really the one to give them any any content, right? I mean, I don't really watch very many gaming streamers. Mm-hmm. Uh Sometimes we watch girlfriend reviews streaming. <laughs> um, like, like we we watch streams a bunch, but they're like when I'm alone, when I'm just watching something by myself, I usually will watch like I'll watch an art stream before I'd watch a game stream. Yeah, uh, games done quick is an exception to that, <laughs> but that's all set up like it's many different people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when we do watch game streams, it's usually. Different, like different people. Dylan watches a lot of League of Legends streamers, mm-hmm. um, and they're pretty funny. But they're usually former pros, so yeah. it's like people you know from them playing on the big, big stage, big screen, or whatever. And then yeah. they retire and are <laughs> retire in quotes, and then <laughs> play the game for more money streaming it. That seems to be the in for a lot of people who watch streams is the oh, I like Fortnite, I'll watch a Fortnite streamer. And then, oh, I like that streamer, I'll watch the next thing they stream. Like, it's 
you know, and so finding that way in is probably important for a lot of viewers. Uh, I guess I just haven't found my in to to any of that. Yeah, and most of the most of the streaming, I guess, that I do is just watching my friends play on like this on Steam. You know, mm-hmm. like if they're on and they're playing a game, and I just like dial in and watch them do stuff and make fun of them. I mean, which is <laughs> I feel like a lot of what people are doing when they're watching a streamer, which is fine. Um, it's just. I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe because I don't have the personal connection there beforehand. Yeah. I'm not sure. And, and it doesn't, I guess it doesn't, you know, it's, I don't really, I really don't mean this to be a value judgment. It's just, you know, this is where I was and that my engagement with gamer culture doesn't really involve streaming, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, but it oh, would make a blind spot for me. My brother sometimes will stream, but he'll, he only tells the people who are in our like family chat or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes at work, when he has a day off or is working from home or whatever, and he will just have league on, I can watch him play. Just, that's pretty fun. Yeah, I like like I feel like social media for me and and maybe other people who are get very anxious about the wider talk to everyone social media is like like having a sub network of people who you just talk to instead of the world it would be more comfortable. Although that wouldn't really make influences or or yeah, or. Yeah. Uh, viral content or whatever. Well, you're also thinking about it in terms of, uh, you're thinking about it like a game designer. Yeah. Right? Designing <laughs> a, an experience tailored to a particular, like, you're not thinking about broadcast, right? <laughs> Media, which is really what streaming is now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it means, I mean, it really is very telling. Like, we can all talk about it an- antiseptically and like maybe come up with strategies to engage that. But like, we don't, we just don't have enough of a handle on it to be able to properly use that as a marketing channel. Right, we have to do a yeah. lot more. It'd be so much more struggle for us to do it. It doesn't come naturally. Right, right. I've, I'm now thinking about more streaming things that I like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking this is gonna. I feel like this is gonna sound super selfish, but I, I'll explain what I mean after I say it. Um, so I just realized, like, I think the in for me on streaming is gonna be if someone decides to stream widget satchel, and and that's selfish because yeah. you know that's gonna like you're streaming the game that I helped build. So now I'm gonna watch you. But I, you know, that'll give me the real, like the starting point of a relationship I can have with that streamer. And then I feel like I'm just going to keep watching them. Yeah. Because then I'll get to know them and then I'll like them and then I'll yeah. want to watch them more. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I, I don't know. It's, it's the lack of intimacy that I, I think in, in social media that is the, the anxiety producing thing. It just feels like mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of content and this is a never ending waterfall and you it all comes at you so fast that you never get to just like drink the water is how it feels yeah and like that when you have a good conversation with someone one-on-one or you have a relationship with someone one-on-one you like you feel refreshed like you had a good drink of water but social media it just feels like it's drowning you i don't that's my experience um but like having an in to like make that a little bit narrower and have there actually be like a connection um that might be the thing that does it but yeah, I only really bring it up because it was a blind spot for me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am looking for it, but also kind of a little nervous about the next steps. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, one of the things I was nervous about is, well, do I have to get back on social media myself? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, if we, need to do this, if, we need, if we need to do this for the game, great. I can do that for the game because it'll be this specific purpose with this kind of narrow um, these narrow goals and objectives around that as opposed to just connecting with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, we're getting together tomorrow to talk about kind of what have we heard back about um, the offerings from the different agencies and firms we've spoken to and their packages and what, you know, what are we, what do they suggest for a budget and what value would we get from that? Um, but I, uh, I don't know. Like, I think, um, yeah, I'll be curious to hear reactions about like the, the different levels of budget in this, yeah, you yeah. know, like for a small team that doesn't have a lot of, you know, it's not like, you know, a little like a few thousand dollars can be a really, really big thing. Yeah. Uh, it well, just also, depends. when you think about doing it yourself, like you, you, like the budget for that is zero and then all of your time. And so, right. and you, it's hard to put a, a price on that. Uh, even if you can like bill your services elsewhere, like it, it's very hard to get to the point where you're like, oh, how much is this worth if I'm paying for it? Yeah. Versus how much is this worth for me to do it? Right, and it those are different calculations, and it it requires the research that you did, talking to a bunch of different people to to get an idea of like what is what's standard, what's expected, what kind of results can you get, and like 
uh, one of the things we have to talk about it, uh, when we you know make decisions about this is like you know um, how much money can we risk, right? Because it's because we're taking the risk for that, right? As and, opposed to a publisher, yeah, right. And so and and the question becomes like, okay, well we can we can risk a lot more, and then maybe the maybe the the reward will be much greater. But like we can't pull that trigger. But if we risk so little that the return, even if it's more uh, you know a little bit more safe is not and maybe it's just breaking even then well then what was the point yeah you know yeah this was exactly the kind of conversations we're going to dive into tomorrow and um i don't know that might be a, another topic for another day yeah uh, where that ends up but well it's good that we we bring this here because we're because <laughs> listeners can hear the sort of that we're on the precipice of like moving forward with it yeah and so it's 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 almost like a check-in so yeah when we report back as to what we ended up doing um you know we can we can look back and you know our uncertainty now is sort of a, a interesting <laughs> little checkpoint. Listen back to this episode and just be like, you only sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> you know nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess that, and, and if I could kind of distill everything that I've said down to like a couple of pieces of advice for anyone else who's kind of in a similar level of experience and in, in starting out with this, um, first of all, just, just there's no harm in emailing. You know, I will admit to spending a little more time than I probably should have drafting the email, but then I just sent the, like a really similar email to a bunch of different people and just to see what would bounce back. Um, so just to start, um, there's, you know, not, there's not a lot of risk in just reaching out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece would be, you know, even if you're not sure what your budget can be and if, and if you know your budget is super, super low, I would say it's still worth reaching out because um, there are a lot of different firms out there. Some of people, some of these the people that we've been spoken to are just one person, you know, consultants and people who we can hire for a few weeks to help with yeah. something small. And then others are larger agencies who can help with, they actually offered to help with like bug tracking and QA. I mean, there's a lot. So there's just a huge, um, there's a huge variety out there and you, you can't really make an informed decision about how you want to spend your time, energy and resources until you know what's out there and the best way to really get a sense of what's out there is to talk to people yeah um and so it's i think it's worth just setting aside a little bit of time at some point even if you're not planning on hiring someone else to do marketing um i I feel like make that your plan but do a little bit of research and talk to some people before you make that your decision yeah yeah it's a really good way to uh to cap the topic. Yeah, that felt good. <laughs> good words, Ellen. <laughs> okay, so that's our show. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or if you're nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at Nice Games Club. I will only accept emails that are as positive feedback for Ellen's appearance on today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're all thinking it. Put it in an email and send it to Aww. us. <laughs> um, and I also read the email wrong. It's contact at nicegames.club. Don't forget that dot. It's important. Um, lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts and co-hosts and guest hosts, um, <laughs> as well as all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. Again, the dot. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 